Welcome to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, Certified Religious Transition and Trauma Recovery Coach, Terry Hales. I help people step out of the shadows of religious fear and shame and embrace their authentic selves with love and empathy. If you're ready to throw off the shackles of learned binary thinking and explore a more nuanced approach to life, this is your playground. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Emancipate Your Mind podcast. It's so good to be back from Texas, and I'm excited to tackle this next segment. We're going to be talking about parenting after religious trauma, what it's like to parent, some of the concerns that we have, some of the common issues, and we will be deep diving into some of those issues in the episodes after today. But I thought it would be fun today to bring Kevin Hales, my husband and licensed therapist, onto the podcast today. We're going to talk about some of the concerns we had about parenting after leaving high demand religion, as well as some of the common concerns, anxieties, fears, and subconscious beliefs we have about parenting that we might have to overcome in order to create the healthy, safe environments that we're wanting to create for our kids after deconstructing from high demand religion. So welcome to the podcast, Kevin. Thank you. I'm excited for our conversation today. We've already kind of conversed a little bit before this in order to take some notes and make sure that we're on track. And I think we have some really good conversations to have today. Yeah, I agree. <clears throat> so, and it sounds like our cat wants to be part of this too. So she may come come over and have things to say. Kevin's her favorite person. So she may join us on the podcast a little bit today. <laughs> So I want us to rewind. It's been, what has it been? Has it been six years or seven years? Six years? Yeah, a little, well, it depends what marker you're using to count how long. So when we talked to the bishop and we were like, yeah, we need to step away. I think that was April of 2017. Yeah, I think you're right. So it's been a little over six years since we've stepped stepped away from Mormonism. Right. Um. And I remember that was kind of like, for me at least, when some of these fears about like, oh my gosh, how does this affect our kids really came to a head because we were taking that leap of stepping away from the Mormon church. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts. What were some of the big fears or anxieties or struggles when it came to parenting that came up for you when we decided to make that separation for at least the time being? What do you mean by the time being? Well, remember when we talked to the bishop, we were telling him that we were just stepping away. I think both you and I knew it was going to be more of a permanent move. Yeah. But I was at least in the back of my head telling myself that I could change my mind if I needed to. Yeah. That if it turned out bad, I could always make a different choice later on. Yeah. When was it? Sorry, slightly off topic, but when was it uh, the primary president uh, asked if she could come and take our kids to church. That was like two weeks after we had left. Mm. It was shortly after, but the Bishop also asked us that if you remember, I don't remember that. No. Yeah. So when we were there, he was like, okay, that makes sense. If you need to take a step away, but would it be okay if we came and picked up your kids and continued to bring them to church, which now feels like such a breach of boundaries. Well, it is. It's predatory. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm just thinking about that. And, and I think we remember being pretty, you know, pissed that they would even ask that, but yeah, it's just such a, such a predatory thing to, to do, to, to hone in on your kids, you know, because if we can, I don't know, I, I'm not even sure what the thought process process is behind that other than, you know, trying to control you and in your family. I mean, I remember as a missionary, we would almost always <clears throat> target you know women um uh, because they could convince the husband you know to come even though he may not be interested initially and and then the kids as well i guess to a certain extent now mm -hmm. think about it because you know if you can rope the woman and the kids in then that would often bring the man as well so. yeah 
I mean, that's what happened in my family growing up. My mom joined the church. Right. We all were part of the church. And I remember being a huge influence on my dad as a young kid, right. pouring his beer down the drain, getting on his case for playing poker. Just, I was kind of a punk to my dad as a young child, yeah. but I think it did have a large influence on him eventually joining the church whenever I was seven. Yeah. No, I remember telling the bishop that if we felt like the church was not something that was good for us, why would we want our kids to continue to be picked up and mm. taken? Yeah. But that didn't even make sense. No, because that's, you know, for anyone that's in their church and religion, you know, they they are you know, willingly or unknowingly burying their head in the sand and, and trying to ignore the, the negative aspects. And so it's the idea that it would somehow be unhealthy or not good wouldn't cross most people's minds. And all they can think is that this is such a great place and such a great way to raise your kids. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think we would say it's all bad, you know, uh, otherwise why would somebody join a cult? But um, yeah, I mean, there's there's probably those good positive aspects, but at what cost? Yeah. You know, at, at what cost is do I have to pay to be in that environment? So um, I guess going back to your question, yeah, I mean, there's I think generally a lot of fear for for people because maybe they grew up in this this religion or this environment and and again you can probably see some of the good in it but but i think there's a lot of fear because there's uh, a lot of um, milestones and expectations about how your kids are supposed to grow up and and what they're supposed to do at certain ages and and the path that they're supposed to follow and so mm -hmm. um you know when you don't believe anymore and when you're struggling to to play along then then that often turns you know to your kids eventually at some point and then of course what do we do then and and do i want them uh being in that environment and i, I don't know probably a mixed bag yeah so yeah i know several people who are in mixed faith uh marriages who really struggle with you know, how much exposure should their kids have to the church? You know, how harmful will it end up being? And I think maybe that's a good place for us to start is let's say a couple is in a mixed faith relationship where kids have the choice or maybe don't have the choice to either go to church with one parent or stay home with the other. And I think for many of us, whenever we've left high demand religion, there some of that black and white thinking kind of comes with us, right? Where mm -hmm. It's all or nothing. Mm -hmm. And so, and I think it creates a lot of tension in marriages and in families, because if you have one parent that's like, you know, they have to go or they won't be good people. And we'll talk about that more in just a little bit. Um, and the other one is saying, no, this is harmful. This created a lot of harm for me. And I think it's like, they've lied about a lot of things or they've hidden a lot of things. And I don't want my kid to be a part of that. I think it's damaging it can become kind of this, this battle of, you know, either we're doing it all because that's what makes a good kid or we're not doing any of it because that's how I am going to protect my child. How do we find that middle ground between the parent who's going and the parent who does not want to go anymore? And how do we give our kids a safe space to kind of process and figure out what they want? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's going to be a hard scenario to be in. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's a, a concrete all-encompassing answer because it's going to be different for each couple but um yeah that's that's what a lot of couples have to determine you know it, one parent doesn't want their kid to get baptized or you know go to certain church events anymore and the other parent probably does you know and so mm -hmm. how do we get on the same page with that. I, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure, you know, again, there, there's probably going to have to be some compromise met there. Uh, if, if there's going to be 
you know, a continued relationship together. And, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not, I'm not sure if there is a, a good answer to that question. Yeah. It sounds like it's something that you would have to like negotiate between both parents and with the kids, depending on their ages, especially right. depending on their ages. Yeah. Cause, cause if obviously if they're old enough, they might, you know, already have their own opinion and maybe they want to go or maybe they don't want to anymore. And I, I think we need to take that into account. Mm -hmm. So maybe let's talk about that. How do we talk with our kids about what they want or don't want? How do we have boundary seems to be like a really big issue when we're leaving high demand religion, both for ourselves. Like we're still trying to navigate like what are boundaries? How do I set them? How do I honor my own boundaries? Um, how do I even know what my boundaries are? And now we're trying to also teach our kids those things, like how they can have boundaries and we're trying to help them navigate that. And it sounds like this is kind of part of that process, talking with our kids and finding out what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And as our kids age, obviously they have more autonomy and more control over their own lives. They become separate people from us. They're always separate people from us, but they they have more control over what they do and don't do. So what does that look like as our kids are young, trying to like work with them to create something that works for them and within the family dynamics versus as they age and we're giving them kind of more space to spread those wings and fly? Well, um, you know, like we've talked about before, I think maybe one of the fundamental uh things to address is how you view the child mm -hmm. and and that's going to affect how you approach them and and if you even consider them uh as being able to have boundaries you know because if you well i don't know let, maybe we should address that because how you view your child how you view the whole parenting process is going to determine whether you even think they should have boundaries because i think some parents would balk at that idea that your kids should have boundaries and you should be including them in the the process mm -hmm. would you agree yeah i absolutely agree especially like when we were still in mormonism um i viewed our kids as people i was supposed to shape right and mold i think we've talked about that on this podcast a couple of times um, in the scriptures that says, train up your child when they're young and when they're old, they will not depart from it. I thought it was my job to train them who to be and how to be in the world mm -hmm. so that they would grow up to be successful, uh, adults, I guess. Right. And I view it differently now. I still have a role in shaping, like helping them learn and figure out what they want and like supporting them in trying things on, but I don't feel like it's my role any longer to be like, here's the pattern and here's how you fit yourself into the pattern. Right. Yeah. How about you? How do you see that? No, I mean, I think the same. It's you're just telling one of our friends that story the other day about how you were teaching the young women and and talking about lying. And they were actually eight-year-olds. Oh, geez. I thought they were at least young women age. So. I was teaching the eight-year-olds who were getting ready to be baptized that year. Hmm. And we had a lesson on lying and it was very black and white. Right. I didn't even realize I was nuanced at the time. Right. I just remember being like, they were saying, you should always, always, always tell the truth. And I was immediately like, well, what if someone is asking if your mom is here with you at the park? Like, is not good to tell them, oh no, I'm here by myself. I'm here with just my friends. Or, you know, if the school bully is like, did you bring lunch money today? Mm -hmm. Like telling them, oh yeah, I have $10 in my pocket is not, that's not a useful bit of information. It's not something they need to know. And it's absolutely okay to be untruthful about that in order to protect yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, asking them questions to help them start thinking and be more nuanced. And I remember feeling so naughty, <laughs> but I was instilling this idea that a hundred percent truthfulness was not always in your best interest, that there were times to omit information because it could be harmful to you. And there were times to actually straight up say the opposite of the truth in order to protect your physical 
mental or emotional safety. Right. Well, and, and that's without even realizing it, you were teaching them the beginnings of having boundaries, mm. you know? And uh, because again, <clears throat> there's, you know, so few boundaries, definitely in Mormonism. And I, and I would assume this is probably true across most religions. You know, there's an expectation to reveal a lot more about yourself and your life and your sex life. And your, in fact, I think I just saw like a post the other day on Reddit. And I don't remember which subreddit it was, but it was apparently it was a, uh, uh, an application for the college sports team and they had several questions about when was your first period how frequently is your period and and just like all these like like what like why are you even asking us what does this have to do with you know applying you know for the the sports team and i want to say maybe it was volleyball or something but anyways it was just like there's there's a lot of situations like that where you are asked personal questions and and when it's done within you know these these circumstances you you often just assume it's normal or proper even though you're probably extremely uncomfortable and mm-hmm. and so so that was that was something we had to learn leaving as well as you know creating those boundaries and saying wait why am i telling you this or why do i feel like i should tell you this and mm-hmm. and uh and drawing those boundaries, but then to your point, also helping our children draw their boundaries and, and discover what their boundaries are, because obviously they they aren't immediately going to know. But I think, at least for me, you know, a general rule of thumb is when discovering your boundaries and and helping your kids with their boundaries, it's it's going to be a situation where you're triggered by something and you're angry or hurt or you know, something sets you off, you know, something it just does not feel right or comfortable. That's probably a good sign that there's been a boundary cross. And so if, if you see that happening with your child, then we can try to have that discussion with them and try to figure out, okay, what, what just happened there? What's going on? Yeah. Well, I was actually just having a conversation with one of our kids today about boundaries, actually just a couple of hours ago. Um, and talking about what I noticed with them emotionally when it came to availability on the phone and phone Mm. calls. And so one of our kids has a friend that um, has impulse control issues and we'll call. And then if he doesn't answer, we'll call again. And if he doesn't answer, we'll continue to call and call and call. And you can see the building anxiety in our child. And so we talked about boundaries and how, you know, if it's negatively impacting you, if it's creating anxiety in your life, if it's creating a sense of, you know, inability to be at peace or to feel <laughs> safe that, you know, you might need to decide what is okay and what is not okay with you. And our kid actually kind of tried on a couple of solutions and threw them out there for our other child and I to kind of comment on and said, you know, I'm okay with my friend calling anytime they want to. But sometimes I feel like I have to pick up or the phone's just going to keep ringing. And we've noticed this kid pick up the phone in the middle of dinner, pick up the phone in the middle of a conversation with us, pick up the phone when they're trying to get dressed for school. And he said, well, maybe, you know, he could call me once. If I don't answer, he could call one more time just to see if I didn't get to the phone in time. But then if I don't answer twice, maybe the boundary is he leaves a message for me. And I'll get to him when I can. And maybe I just need to have a conversation about the expectation. And so, and then we had a chance to say, that's a great place to start setting the expectation. What will you do if he continues to demon dial you? What will you do if he continues to call over and over? And he sat there for a minute and I was so proud of him because he said, I think at that point I'd put my phone on silent or do not disturb for a while and just protect my peace. Like he can continue to call 50 bazillion times that day if he needs to, but I won't hear it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that's a great example of boundaries because he wasn't going to call him and yell at him or tell him to stop. He was just like, what can I do to keep my phone from ringing and making me feel anxious? I was really proud of him. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a conversation he said he was going to be having today. Nice. 
um, to try to mitigate some of that anxiety and those issues that were coming up with phone calls. Nice. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't always go perfectly. I still feel like I'm trying to figure out my own boundaries. Mm-hmm. So sometimes there's some friction, even with our kids when they set boundaries. You're right. And it's constantly a, a work in progress. It's, you know, you don't, you don't just draw that line in the sand and, and then boom, suddenly you're good from there on out. Boundaries, I think, are constantly fluctuating. They're mm-hmm. constantly uh, needing to be adjusted and adapted. Yeah, Absolutely. Like it's something that you continue to edit and work through as your kids grow because those things change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Boundaries are difficult because I feel like we're all still not only deconstructing some of those subconscious beliefs about what boundaries are, whether we should have them or not, whether they're healthy or unhealthy, but also I feel like there's some subconscious feelings about what it means when someone sets a boundary with you mm-hmm. and there's like some triggers i feel like sometimes like some hurt or some shame that still come up occasionally from the background so how do we work with that when our kids are setting boundaries with us or with our parents or with somebody else and it brings up embarrassment or feelings of shame or like for instance if you're at your parents house and your kids decide they don't want to hug relatives or they don't want to like, you know, be close or interact with relatives. Cause I think sometimes we get our sense of self-worth or our sense of like, I'm a good person by how our kids act. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that brings up some shame or some feelings of embarrassment about who we are as parents, because our kids are setting boundaries or just acting differently than maybe we would act in that situation. So how do we deal with that? My, I guess my initial response is just that's going to be an individual thing to work through. If you're embarrassed because of a boundary you're setting, then that maybe means you're setting, you're probably not totally confident in why you're setting the boundary. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. boundaries are a very personal thing. You know, it's, I'm setting the boundary because, you know, I need this to keep me safe or, or comfortable or, at peace and we don't need other people's approval for that and so if i'm feeling embarrassed about setting a boundary then that probably says that you're you're not totally confident in why you're trying to set this boundary here you know i don't know it depends on the circumstances i think i think i was talking more about like when we feel embarrassed when our kids set a boundary okay so again i think that would be partly our own work to do because if I'm feeling embarrassed by a boundary they're setting, it's not about me. It's about that child and the boundary that they're setting. And, and maybe I'm more uh, wrapped up in how I think their boundary setting is going to reflect on me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and so are we going to support and assist our children in in their boundary setting or are we wanting them to set boundaries that you know make us look good or make us feel comfortable and that's of course the wrong reason to make them set that kind of a boundary yeah so how do we work through that how do we do that work that is ours to do i know that's a really complex question but like what is I know getting curious is always going to be the first step, like why we're having the reaction that we're having. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've got to, we've got to get curious about, you know, what's making us uncomfortable. And it's, I guess, you know, in general, parenting is not so much about us. It's, it's more about the child, Mm -hmm. you know, how do, you know, you've said several times, you know, we want our kids to feel safe. So how do we help them feel safe? How do we, tend to their needs and that's that's the goal here it's so so again if if i'm uncomfortable by something but they're wanting or needing or setting a certain boundary because they need that then we need to i guess learn how to respect that and to to try to support them in that even though maybe i don't necessarily like it or i don't necessarily agree to it it's it's yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure how to answer that question other than just to say it's it's our own personal work, you know, because otherwise we're we're making their boundary setting about me, mm-hmm. and that's 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 not okay. Yeah, 
Well, and I think that's one of the biggest issues that a lot of us have coming out of high demand religion is the conflation between ourselves and our kids. Right. Because I think a lot of that happens, particularly in high demand Christianity and Christian adjacent religions, hmm. where our kids are seen as extensions of ourselves. Hmm. Like you, I think you've used the term like lumps of clay to mold. Mm-hmm. And so as long as we're viewing them as lumps of clay that we're supposed to mold or extensions of who we are or how good of parents we are, mm-hmm. then that's when we run into those issues with boundary setting embarrassment or life choice embarrassment right. um, and inability to just accept and nurture our kids as they are instead yeah. of as we feel they should be. Right. Right. Which is why we sometimes apologize on our kids' behalf, you know, to other people because we're feeling embarrassed we we don't maybe approve of their behavior or how they're acting or what they're doing in certain situations mm-hmm. um so yeah yeah i mean it's i guess going back to my earlier comment i think a lot of how we handle these situations depends on how we view our kids you know i've uh i've got you know one client who's very christian and so anytime she talks about the kids, you know, she's very black and white about that's not okay, you know, and she shouldn't be saying that or she shouldn't be doing that. You know, it's it's very clear in her head that, you know, there are certain things that child should and shouldn't be doing. And so the expectation then at that point is for her husband to step in and correct the kids, you know, tell them what they're doing wrong. And then the expectation is the kid will fall in line. Mm-hmm. and behave appropriately so it's they're very much viewing children and and the pr- parental process as this molding that that piece of pottery into the the shape that you want it to be um and of course that's just not how it works or at least it shouldn't be if we want our kids to be critically thinking independent minded you know uh people then then we have to nurture that not nurture this submissive acquiescent crushed soul uh which is i think the outcome of of most traditional parenting approaches yeah one of the questions that comes to mind for me now like knowing several teachers in the teaching system where maybe parents have been like you become you but haven't been taught maybe empathy or haven't been taught how to interact with other people and not only like look out for their their own needs and wants and desires and boundaries but also to understand other people's feelings needs wants and desires how do we mitigate that because that's i think one of the big pieces that comes up for people leaving high demand religion because sometimes we slingshot to the opposite right we had all these rigid rules and regulations about how we should be and shouldn't be and sometimes we take off all guidelines and rules. And we just say like, you do you like go out and be, but that creates its own set of problems. Right. So how do we find that? Like, again, how do we come into the middle of that spectrum where we're honoring who the child is and what their boundaries are, but again, like helping them recognize other people's humanity and empathize with others and like be respectful and and compassionate and kind as we're navigating getting our own needs met mm-hmm. and showing up authentically in the world. Yeah. I mean it's 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 a hard balance but I think you're you're correct in looking at it as a you know there's a happy medium somewhere in there that ideally we're we're seeking mm-hmm. and it, it shouldn't be either extreme it shouldn't be you know super laissez-faire and it shouldn't be super tyrannical you know it, it, there needs to be some happy medium in there and i guess i guess one of the answers to that question is uh you know approaching our children in age appropriate ways so you know we're not trying to have a conversation with a a toddler about you know, boundaries and, you know, sex and, and other, you know, complex topics because they clearly don't have the, the ability to understand and, and, and contribute to that conversation. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so, so the amount of control that we have over a child's life is going to be much higher when they're younger. And ideally, as the child gets older, we relinquish uh, more and more of that control and allow them to make their own decisions and to make their own mistakes because we'll be there to support them and to help them learn from those mistakes. So, for example, both of our kids are at the Renaissance Fair today and, and you were giving Kent some cash uh, to spend uh, on anything he wants to buy there. And so he put it in his pocket and I don't know, I'm not terribly confident that pocket is super secure and that, that money could come falling out, but it might not, you know, mm -hmm. but you kept giving him options, you know, maybe Wes could hold the money in his wallet. Maybe, you know, we, it could be put somewhere else, you know, more secure, but ultimately he, he decided he wanted it in yeah, his pocket. He, he he kept insisting, no, I just want it here in this pocket. He, he seemed confident it wasn't going to go anywhere. And so I guess we'll see, you know, yeah. and, and if, and if he does lose that cash, then hopefully he learns something from that and, uh, you know, is more careful next time. So it's, you know, and then like one of the examples I always think of is, you know, when your kid is small and they're, they're starting to, you know, spout their opinion a little bit more, you know, let's say it's snowing outside and, and you're like, all right, let's put a coat on. And they're like, no. And you're like, but it's cold out there. Let's put a coat. No, you know, and, and maybe they can keep insisting they don't want to put their coat on or put their shoes on or something, you know, we, and, and so it's, I think it's important to allow them to, you know, in some of these situations, assuming it can be done relatively safely and, uh, and, and so forth, let them make the decision, you know, and maybe they, don't wear that coat, but you know, with within a couple of minutes of going outside, maybe they change their mind, and and, mm -hmm. and then we can let them put the coat on at that point. And and I think we have to be careful because it's it's easy to launch into lecture mode and, mm -hmm. and tell them I told you so, and next time you need to listen to me. But again, that's probably hopefully that's not the relationship we're trying to have with them. It's 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 a it's one where we're creating a safe environment for them to make mistakes and. And again, that a lot of this just goes back to what is the underlying philosophy and how we view parenting a child. You know, if you view it as trying to control and manipulate and mold this child into a, the creature you're you're wanting them to be, then that's going to affect how you approach uh, them in these situations. But if you view them as this this small human being who is going to have their own opinions and ideas and, and, and that's okay. And you're not going to be threatened by that. And you're going to want to encourage that and nurture that. And that means we're going to let them make some mistakes. It's okay that they make mistakes. Some of our best lessons in life are learned from our own mistakes. And of course, not see that as a bad thing, which, you know, if you're in religion, most of the time we're striving to be perfect. And so mistakes are always seen as a, a negative and a bad thing. Mm -hmm. So trying to encourage that, that environment for them to spread their wings, you know, fall out of the nest and, and be there to help pick them up, not necessarily to be there to catch them, you know, uh, or keep them from ever getting hurt. We'll, we'll do that to a certain extent, but we shouldn't be doing that in every situation. Yeah. Yeah, you actually bring up a really good point that I think sometimes, especially when we've experienced adverse childhood experiences um, or trauma of some sort in our childhood, sometimes what can affect our parenting is this deep desire because we love our kids to protect them mm -hmm. from all childhood adverse experiences right. or harm themselves. And like, Obviously, we want to try to protect our kids from big T traumas, right? right? Sexual abuse, emotional abuse, mental abuse, as much as possible, right? Physical abuse. But part of growing up is that we will all experience some little T traumas. We're going to have times where we feel rejected by friends. We're going to have times when we embarrass ourselves on stage at school. We're going to have times when we fail on our report card and we have to do summer school. Um and we don't really get the summer that we hoped we would have. Sometimes we, you know, fail the driving exam or we're turned down by the girl that we ask on a date. 
And these can be little T traumas. Yeah. But I think some of us feel like we're supposed to protect our kids from all trauma ever, mm-hmm. which includes all failure, all mistakes. And we overparent to a certain extent, trying to keep them from having any kind of adverse experiences. And I think sometimes that comes from a deep sense of empathy and love for our kids. But I think sometimes it also comes from this reparenting that needs to happen for our own inner child. And we project that onto our kids, right? Like we still have wounds from our own childhood that we are maybe projecting onto our kids and trying to like in empathy for our own selves, like trying to shield and protect that for our kids as well. And we robbed, yeah, we robbed them of the opportunity to recognize that they can go through hard things and survive it, that they have the ability to problem solve and pick themselves up again, like you said, and that they can trust themselves. When we allow our kids to go through some of these small T traumas and some of the failures and mistakes that are part of growing up, they are learning through that experience that they can trust themselves to do hard things and come out the other side and be okay. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard and continues actually to be really hard to learn on my part that I need to like kind of step back, be there as a support, but not like, like you said, catch them. So what are, what are some ideas that we have? I'm like racking my brain. This is a conversation. So I didn't necessarily come with all my bullet points that I normally have, but how do we move into that space where we're creating safety for our kids to try things on, make wrong decisions and work through those wrong decisions, those failures and those small T traumas that just happen from being human. Well, again, you know, like we've kind of touched on throughout this conversation, a lot of it, I think, centers around how we view the whole parenting process. Do Mm -hmm. we view our children as these moldable items and and things that we need to control and manipulate, you know, make them walk in a specific path, you know, because that's 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 creating this unhealthy dynamic between parent and child, or are we seeing them as I believe they are, which are these these little creatures that we have contributed genetic material to or not, you know, if they're adopted. But either way, we are we have taken upon ourselves the responsibility to raise them in the best way that we know how, but there is no perfect way to raise the child. Mm -hmm. We've got to get rid of that idea and that concept that there is a path, there is a program, there is a checklist that we as their parents and they as children have to follow for them to be good people. You Mm -hmm. know, there's plenty of exceptions in the world where maybe somebody grew up in a toxic, abusive neglectful home, but still turned out to be a pretty decent, you know, person and, or vice versa, you know, somebody grows up in what, you know, is, you know, a relatively loving and, you know, safe environment, but they, they turn out, you know, to go in in a different direction that, that may be self-destructive. Yeah. Yeah. Self-destructive and hard to understand. I I don't want to say the wrong direction because because again, those concepts of right and wrong ways to grow up and be as a person, I, I think have largely gone out the window for me. So. Yeah. I always think of the movie Wild, or I yeah. guess the book Wild by Cheryl Strayed, yeah. where she talks about how, you know, the main character, she gets into heroin and and then she said, maybe, maybe, maybe that's maybe heroin taught me something. Yeah, maybe heroin taught me something. Like obviously her parents probably would not have chosen heroin as the path that she went down, but she learned something from it. And so was it self-destructive for a time? For sure. Mm-hmm. And then she went on this journey of recognizing that she was on a self-destructive path and learned quite a bit from it. Mm-hmm. Um, from the self-destructive choices and and the harm. It brought into her life, which ultimately led her to write the book because it is a an autobiography. Mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting how often, I mean, even religious trauma, like the the choices I made in high demand religion, have taught me like some of the hardest but most influential 
lessons in my life on the importance of curiosity, empathy, critical thinking, um, being open-minded mm-hmm. to other ways of living and being. And I just had, you know, I was just down in Texas and having conversations with all of my multitude of Christian slash Mormon slash non-denominational family. Um, and one of them said, like, if you could go back, you could rewrite, rewind the clock. Would you choose to continue to be Mormon? Like if you knew everything you knew now, I was like, well, if I knew everything I knew now, probably I wouldn't continue to be Mormon. I was like, however, it's really hard to go back and say, I wish I had done something different because it made me who I am today. And I like who I am today. And I don't know that I would have been the same person. I would have lost a lot of gifts having not gone through the struggles. Mm-hmm. So, right. Which again, requires us to, to look at mistakes through a different lens, mm-hmm. not see them as necessarily mistakes or see them as bad things. It's it, but rather just, I mean, I've, I've tried to redefine the word failure or mistake because I obviously those words denote that it was bad or and it shouldn't have happened. But I think really all a mistake or a failure is in essence is something not happening the way we had anticipated it. Mm-hmm. That's it. And so, so if I, you know, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a good example, but if I, if I'm expecting a certain outcome and it doesn't happen that way, that's usually going to upset and bother us. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to probably see it as a mistake or something that was bad, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is mm-hmm. because hopefully we've learned something from that experience and, and it's something that you know, we can gain from and, and, you know, implement into our, how we do things, you know, maybe differently next time to get the outcome that we ultimately want. Yeah. We Thomas Edison it. He right. said, I haven't failed. I've just found 10,000 ways not to make a light bulb work. Or right. I probably just butchered that, but that's basically what he said. Like I've right. just found 10,000 ways that don't work. Right. That doesn't mean I've failed. I'm just marking off things that don't work. So right. Right. He's learning from each of those experiences. And yeah. So, so yeah, so I, I guess, again, I, I keep saying a lot of this has to do with how we view the parenting process, but, but maybe part of how we look at the parenting process also is determined by how we look at human nature mm-hmm. and ourselves, you know, mm. because that's part of what has influenced a lot of the parenting practices in the past is the idea that, you know, our, our children are evil or you know, inherently sinful, inherently sinful, and they need to be corrected and they need to be, you know, taught a lesson and, and all these ideas. And we need to beat the devil out of them. Right. And so, so human nature. And, and, and so that's, that's significantly changed how I, you know, look at human behavior. Now I, I don't, you know, like if something evil or horrific happens, I don't just assume that the person who did it is evil or, or horrific anymore. It's, it's, I mean, they clearly did something evil and horrific, but you know, there's probably a long history of trauma and abuse and neglect and mental illness, mental illness, and a whole host of things that led up to that moment and that point Um, to believe that someone just because they're evil at their core, just decided, you know, just woke up someday and said, you know, I think I'm going to go shoot up a school. You know, I think I'm going to go um, rape this person. You know, it, it's like, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it, we're oversimplifying, you know, what are clearly complex problems and issues. And so, um, so that's, that's how, you know, I approach, you know, just about every situation now I'm, I'm trying to look for and to understand the reasons certain things are happening or why people are behaving the way they are, you know, mm-hmm. rather than just assuming they're just, they're just rebellious. They're just lazy. They're just evil, evil, you know, that what we've just done in saying those things is we've, we've cut off our critical thinking. We're not, we're not actually trying to think about it anymore. We're not trying to empathize or understand or comprehend 
where they're coming from or why they would behave in this way we've just we've made up our mind this is who they are and now we're just pissed yeah and and we're not actually going to i think find any peace or understanding in that because we have just made this overly simplistic conclusion about you know the this person and, and what's going on and so you know oftentimes when i meet with the parents of teenagers you know that that's what i'm trying to get them to see is you know your child isn't just inherently lazy or or uh or bad or rebellious or any of these things that all these things are normal you know it, w when we're rebellious as human beings that's normal it means we're pushing back against something that we don't like and we don't agree with and so and in teenagerhood we're trying to figure out our own identities separate from our parents right. which could lead to rebelliousness as well it's right. necessary right. for adult identity right and and rebelliousness isn't just part of adolescence all of us are rebellious how many of us speed you know because we don't like the speed limit you know that's us rebelling how many of us you know cut into a long line you know uh even though socially you know most people are like hey you know you shouldn't be cutting lines, but I mean, sometimes we cut lines because we don't want to wait. You know, sometimes we, yeah, I'm trying to trying to think of other examples, but I mean, all of us rebel from time to time. Mm -hmm. You know, we're we're told we have to do something, or or this is, or we'll take the whole COVID thing, right? You know, people not wearing masks—that's them rebelling against you know, authority figures telling them that, that you should be doing this. Lots of people were happy to put on masks though, because they felt like it was the safe and appropriate thing to do during, you know, a pandemic and, yeah. and, and so on and so forth. Right. Quiet quitting at work. Yeah. Quiet. Like quitting. where you're just doing the bare minimum mm -hmm. and you're not going above and beyond like your boss expects you to, or the company culture expects right. you to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So re rebelling is just part of being human there's nothing wrong with it. Uh, I mean, if anything, anytime we do find ourselves being rebellious about something, we should try to get curious and understand why am I doing that? You know, what is it, what is it that I don't, don't agree with and that I don't like here. And, uh, and again, try to extend that same curiosity to your kids. You know, when you see them maybe not obeying or not doing the things you're asking them to, or telling them to, it's important to, to better understand where that's coming from. Yeah. Well, and it's been interesting. Like the, the example that comes to mind for me is grades. Um, one of our kids was struggling a little bit with grades and getting curious with him about what was going on actually led us to a lot of great solutions to try on over the past two years, because I could have just assumed that he was not listening, checked out, but because of all of the work we've done since leaving high demand religion, and what I know about him is generally like a, he wants to do well, mm -hmm. just asking him like, Hey, what's going on? What's, what's happening here and making that safe environment to get curious, like letting him know, like, I'm not angry. I just want to understand what's happening mm -hmm. so that we can find solutions that work for you to get you what you want. And that led to trying things on and failing mm -hmm. spectacularly and, and doing some summer school even. And learning from that and and just continuing to try things on and adjust to a point where he's found things that work for him pretty well, at least up to this point. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean we won't have to adjust more, but checking in with him about what he wants for his life too and what matters to him. Because I think many of us were raised with, you have to go to college and in order to go to college, you must have this GPA and you must do this well on tests. And that actually wasn't what he wanted for himself. And it completely changed the parameters of what we were aiming for in the first place. Right. So, yeah. And and again, you know, it's a lot of that should cause us as parents to self-reflect, you know, if we're bothered that they're not getting straight A's, if we're <clears throat> bothered that they're not going to get into a certain college, if we're bothered that they're not wanting to go to school and, and a whole host of things, you know, it's, again, it's not just that they're lazy or inherently bad. We need to, I think, get more creative in how we envision our child's future. Mm -hmm. It needs to be something more aligned to who they are. Mm -hmm. you know, and what they want, and what, what brings they, them joy. Right. 
Yeah. And and if we're afraid that they're going to be living in a van down by the river, well, guess what? Maybe they want to live in a van. Gen Zers that love living in their vans down by the river right, right. now. There's whole TikToks about and it. And again, it, it maybe that's not what I envisioned or maybe that's not what I wanted for them, but it's not about you. Mm-hmm. You know, what does your child want? What future do they envision? Now, a lot of parents will say, well, you know, if I ask my son or daughter that question, they they don't answer or they just say, I don't know. Well, if 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 you're if you already have kids that are that at that point and they're not answering, that's probably because there's a history of them being shut down or their ideas and, and feelings dismissed. And so then we have to go back to the the table to I don't know, repair or or try to make up for that that environment that's been there in the past. You know, when when a, a children are naturally you know, wanting to talk and open and share. And so when we have a child that's shut down, there's probably a history of them being shut down. Mm-hmm. And so if we try to just ask them a question now and include them in certain things, they're probably not going to just immediately rebound back and start opening up. Especially as teens. Yeah. Yeah. No, I feel like it takes some time of them seeing like, I really am curious. And it also takes accountability. That's one of the things I've learned the most, I think, from coaching is we don't want perfect parents. We want parents who are empathic, curious, and accountable. Mm -hmm. Um, And so if we're recognizing that our kid is shutting down a lot, I think it goes a long way and it will take a lot of patience and perseverance on our part to make that repair and to recognize like, hey, in the past, I may have shut you down and made it feel like it's unsafe. For you to share your honest thoughts and opinions. And I'd like to change that. I can't promise I'll be perfect at it, but I'd like you to let me know whenever it feels like I'm shutting you down so that I can recognize when I'm doing it and make amends right there in the moment so that we can feel safer with one another. Because I really am curious about your life and I, I want to be included. And I know I've done some damage. Yeah. Um, and you'll have to practice that. Because undoing those patterns takes time. You'll have to practice it for a while. You'll have to apologize a lot. You'll have to get curious when they shut down again, because they might not say, hey, you're doing it right now. But you might have to say, I noticed you just shut down again. What did I do? And and what happened there that, that created that feeling of unsafety for you where you shut down and just letting them know, like, I'm here, giving them time to process because they might not know and continuing to follow up. And just let them know, like, I'm here when you want to talk, not forcing them to talk, but yeah. being like, I'm here <laughs> when you feel like you'd like to share, however you want to share, however much you want to share. I'm here for it. And I'm committed to this, not just now while you're a teenager, but throughout your life. Right. Um, I think goes a really, really long way towards repairing some of those, you know, some of those patterns we develop with our kids right? based on some of the patterns that we grew up with right. as kids. And I think there's room here for a lot of self-compassion because we're healing generational patterns as we're trying to parent kids with different patterns and we are going to mess it up mm-hmm. and revert to old patterns. And sometimes we're going to act from ways that are you know, subconscious indoctrination, both from our families and society and from religion, and just recognizing when things aren't working the way we'd like them to with our kids, getting curious about it with ourselves opening up the conversation with our kids to figure out what their experience has been like, mm-hmm. and then working together to figure out something to try on and come back and figure out how that's working. And just you keep that process up until you find something that works for both of you, at least for the time being, understanding that our kids will continue to evolve and change. And we'll, that means we'll continue to have to evolve and change and have conversations about what feels good for us both. Right. I mean, we're having conversations with our kids now as they're moving into their teenage years and we're evolving from a parent-child relationship where I'm the giver and they're the taker into more adult relationships now where I'm starting to ask for some mutuality. Mm-hmm. And so we're trying to navigate that to figure out what works for us both so that we can start practicing now more of an adult relationship as they're taking on more adult responsibility for their lives. Right. Like I said earlier, you know, when they're younger, we have more control and say in their lives and what they're doing. And that should be a gradual release of that control. 
and say in things as they get older it, it's it's uh i don't know i feel like there's a, a name for that you know it's like an inverse you know relationship or something you know you know like when you see on those graphs you know your level of control is up here and that's according to their low age down here and then as as their age increases your level of control decreases mm -hmm. and and eventually like the the phrase that always comes to mind for me is eventually you know as they get older and not necessarily right at the age of 18 but you know when they are more adult like eventually our role as a parent needs to change from being a manager to a consultant mm -hmm. i like that so i've always liked that that idea that you know, you don't stop being a parent when they become adults and go out into the world. Uh, but some parents still try to maintain that same level of control and and influence over their children's lives, even when they are adults. Yeah. And so rather than being a manager and trying to control and dictate and manipulate everything going on in their lives, it should be more of a consultant role, one that's more respectful and more equal and not one that's overly strong in its influence over over that person and over their lives. Yeah. And I think we begin practicing that when they're still living at home. Exactly. Before the age of 18, exactly. we start delegating some of that. Well, what do you feel like right. would work best for you? Right. What options have you thought about? Right. Um, you know, what are the pros and cons to each of those options? Which one looks the most appealing to you and why? Right. Like beginning to become that voice that we are trying to develop in our own heads, helping us problem solve and figure out the direction for our lives now that we're healing from high demand religion, becoming that framework for themselves to ask themselves questions, to help themselves get to know what they want, what would work for them, what sounds appealing and exciting what sounds absolutely unappealing and disgusting to them and how to come up with a plan to try something on and then how to check in with themselves to see if it's working or not. Right. Um, and, and, and again, helping them understand that there's no right or wrong choices in what they're doing, help them evaluate, did this have the outcome that I was seeking? Mm -hmm. If not, let's reevaluate because because that's the, that's that's the trouble is when we are raised to be obedient and to acquiesce to people in positions of authority we can also alleviate ourselves of the guilt or the the shame of of things not turning out the way we want mm -hmm. and once we start to learn to do that for ourselves so for example coming out of religion or a cult um that's that's a, a heavy burden a lot of people have to deal with is is you know when they're making the choice for themselves and again it doesn't turn out the way they they hoped or wanted there's a lot of guilt and shame that they have to process and work through because they feel like they're making a wrong choice or a bad choice and yeah. and they're not it's just not having the outcome you were expecting and so maybe we need to change our expectations or maybe we need to you know, reevaluate what it is we're seeking or what what exactly we're wanting. What is the result I'm I'm wanting in this situation? So it's and then helping our kids do that, you know, helping our kids realize, oh, whoops, this didn't turn out the way you'd hoped, or whoops, this is, you know, like so if Kent loses his money today, we'll have that talk and go, well, I'm so sorry, buddy, you know, lead with the empathy. So sorry that happened. Uh, you know, what do you think happened? Yeah, your pockets maybe weren't, you know, tight enough or they weren't deep you know, enough. Deep enough or whatever. And you know, what can we do differently next time? You know, and, and we don't need to shame him. We don't need to lecture him. Just, you know, be there to support him if if things don't go the way he was hoping. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, the lessons that we learn the best come from our own experiences that did not go the way we were hoping. Mm -hmm. That's when we learn the most. So allowing that to happen with 20 bucks, I would much rather that happen right now with 20 bucks than with 500 bucks, you know? Right. So I feel like we've talked about a lot of good things today. 
we're going to be talking about more in-depth topics, you know, in the upcoming months. But is there anything else you wanted to say today as we're wrapping up? Is there anything else still on your mind? Um, yeah, I don't know. Not that I can think of. I'm just, I'm thinking back to those initial days and weeks and months of leaving our cult and having to get comfortable with that whole experience. And, and I guess going back to what we've talked about already, it it was, it was helpful to realize and remind ourselves that, you know, our kids don't have to have a religion, a God, a person who supposedly stands in between us and God. We don't have to have those people telling us what to do and how to believe and how to, you know, live our lives. And so, therefore, alleviating yourself of the the fear that there's a right path and a right way for our kids to to be raised has has really liberated a lot of that uh, for myself personally and now and you know i think in my mind what constitutes a good parent what what is a good parent it's it's in my mind it's a parent who is like you said is accountable and empathetic and they're 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 always there to touch base with their kids say hey how are things going how am i doing um and being willing to adjust and adapt mm-hmm. that's 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 really what being a good parent is in a nutshell for me it's it's that willingness to constantly check in with our kids and see how they're doing create a safe environment to to speak freely and yeah you know adapting and adjusting and uh trying to meet their needs as much as possible um and supporting whatever path they want to follow you know and what direction they want to go in uh, again rather than the old way of believing there's a one right way to to do it and forcing our kids to fit into that mold yes yeah. that's, that's never gonna turn out well yeah absolutely agree i love all those points I think the only thing I'd add, and it's no surprise to the people listening to the podcast, because it seems to be like my buzzword is just remaining as curious and open-minded as possible. Mm-hmm. Instead of drawing conclusions, asking curiosity questions, mm-hmm. getting their feedback and figuring out how they feel mm-hmm. things are going. Um, <clears throat> I, I feel like it helps our kids so much when we ask curiosity questions because it allows them to think for themselves mm-hmm. so often. I think they haven't thought through whether this worked for them or didn't work for them or how they feel about it until they're asked questions and get a chance to like sit and think through it in a safe environment where it's okay for them to not have all the answers and with somebody kind of guiding them with those curiosity questions. And then they learn to do that for themselves. And I think it helps us just understand what's at the heart of our kids so much more than the assumptions we make about them. Um, because so often their motives, their intentions are completely different than what we assumed their motives and intentions were. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found I find that that's been really helpful. But I'm excited to delve into parenting. This is something I haven't felt completely comfortable talking about until quite like right now, mm-hmm. mainly because when we first left left high demand religion, um, one of the big fears for me, because, you know, everyone thinks that your kids are going to become delinquents. Mm-hmm. And I needed some time to see how you and I and our kids working together, how that was going to turn out right. for our kids. And, you know, we've been doing this now for six years and our kids, I'm sure, will make their fair share of mistakes and, you know, things that they or even us may not be proud of at some point. And yet... I feel really confident that they are gaining tools to work through those things when the time comes and that they will learn from those experiences and really become some cool humans that contribute the things that they were meant to contribute to the world. So um, 
I like who they are now. I have a feeling, you know, I will continue to like who they are as they become who they're becoming. Mm -hmm. And I'm excited to talk about some of the hard lessons and imperfect experiences we've had um, over the past six years. And I'm still learning. I don't have all the answers. I would say you probably feel like you don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. But I'm excited to explore uh, some of the topics in the upcoming months. But thank you for helping me kick off this segment and yeah. just have a conversation with me. And I hope you guys have all enjoyed this. And I look forward to your questions on the call on Wednesday. We're still doing calls every Wednesday, 630 Mountain Time. If you want to be involved in that, please go to the website at emancipateyourmind.org. All donors, all monthly donors, regardless of the amount, are included in the email list where you get the link to join the call on Wednesdays. And if you want to expedite that process, after you've clicked the monthly donation box and chosen the amount you would like to donate, please send me a message at terry at emancipatedcoaching.com and let me know that you've donated so that I can make sure you're getting that monthly email as soon as possible. If that's something you'd like to be a part of, we'd love to have you there. We'll be talking about parenting topics at least for the next couple of months. And I look forward to your feedback, your questions, any topics that you feel like you'd like to have covered that you feel like haven't been covered yet. I look forward to all of those things and I will see you next week.